Hi, I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Hillary Clinton claims that the UK's Boris Johnson is a Russian stooge. Seriously. Joel Gilbert joins me to talk about Trayvon and the Zimmerman lawsuit. Joe Biden taunts a fat senior citizen. And Congress finally legislating on the USMCA. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Hello again, and welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis, and welcome to today's First Five. Tomorrow, in the UK, there will be elections, and basically, Brexit is on the ballot yet again. UK voters tried several times to tell their government, yes, we really do want the England, UK, to withdraw from the European Union, but establishment folks of all types in their legislature, in, in the uh, lower House of Commons, and especially House of Lords, are fighting the will of the people. They don't want to listen to the people who said, yes, we want to exit the European Union. Well, tomorrow there's yet another set of elections, and Boris Johnson, who is the kind of the, his, actually his hair even kind of looks a little bit like Trump, but he is a, the conservative over there, and he's been trying to carry forth the will of the people and say, yes, the people voted for Brexit, they want to get out of the European Union, and we, the elected officials, should follow through. But every effort to withdraw from the European Union is actually stalled by establishment people, much like things that happen in America. So tomorrow this election is happening. But in the, in the UK, there are, just like they're everywhere, there are liberal rags. There are left-leaning newspapers that are kind of like, I call it in America, the Democrat media mob. In England, they have similar media who lock arms with the leftists over there to just, you know, to message to the people, to control the narrative, to carry forth the agenda the leftists want. So the Guardian, which is a left-wing newspaper in the UK, has reported there's been a five-year ongoing study, secret study, inside the UK related to alleged Russian interference in the United Kingdom. Russian interference in the United Kingdom claiming that the Russians are somehow orchestrating around the leadership of the conservatives in England that Russia is really responsible, getting around to the idea they're accusing Boris Johnson of being a Russian plant. I mean, the absurdity could drive you just, I mean, it's just impossible to describe the level, level of absurdity. But even more so, when you understand one of the players involved in the UK in this five-year report and developing this five-year report is none other than Christopher Steele. And if you're recognizing that name, he is the key character in America in our battle where we had alleged Russian interference in the American elections. He is the he actually, he's trying to back away and say he's not the author of the Steele dossier, but he's the one who was hired by, you know, through Hillary Clinton and the Democrat National Committee to Perkins Coie Law Firm to Fusion GPS. Ultimately, you know, five layers through, Hillary hired Christopher Steele to make up stuff about Donald Trump in Russia during the 2016 elections, trying to discredit him in some way. 
So Christopher Steele, having submitted the what we now not only was a false Russian dossier, but through the power of Hillary and other leftists, that dossier, that piece of fiction created by Christopher Steele, which he's now saying, I didn't write it, somebody else wrote it, made its way all the way to the highest echelons of the FBI and was used to get the FISA court to issue warrants during the Obama administration. So Obama's administration, his executive branch, his FBI, his CIA, his DOJ, those folks used the dossier to justify spying on the Obama administration's political enemy, Donald Trump. So back to the UK elections tomorrow. There is going to there is an effort to get this five-year secret report released, and you know they're saying we're not ready to release it. It doesn't we're not too sure about it here, but it is again making the accusation. The Guardian, the left wing, think of them like the New York Times or Washington Post. The Guardian is trying to say that this five-year study of Russian influence is going to show that Russians are controlling the conservatives over there, and. Boris Johnson may be a Russian plant, and none other than Hillary Clinton, whose hands are filthy dirty, and the entire Trump-Russia collusion hoax here in America has weighed in, in opining, in talking, in public giving statements about how wrong it is that in the UK they simply cannot get this report released to the uh, public in time so the public can know all of this terrible information. Her, um, she's, she has, um, I only want to read her quotes and give her credit. I'm just going to tell you that Hillary's in the middle of all this. I'm going to close this first five by saying this. What really is behind, at the deepest level, what is behind the battle in this election tomorrow in the UK? What is the battle in America in 2020, in our elections in 2020, is the battle of the leftist, socialist, globalist, wing of political thought in the world and those people who still love freedom, who still believe in the idea of America, who believe that America matters, or in the case of UK, believe that, Amer that the UK matters. What Hillary and the leftists in the UK really deplore is that the UK, the citizens of the UK, have said, we don't want to be part of this globalist, socialist, big government controlled mentality that is the European Union. We want to reassert the identity of England, the identity of our, the UK, our nation, our history, our culture, our laws, our system. They're standing up for the identity of a free country. In the same way in America, President Trump is standing up for the identity of America, the unique, extraordinary, important identity of America. Leftists like Hillary Clinton, Christopher Steele, and many others involved in the Trump-Russia collusion are doing, making the same argument in the UK. What they really hate, what the leftists like Hillary and Christopher Steele really hate is that there are people who actually want to reassert the importance, the identity, the individuality of individual countries. It's not racist. It's not xenophobic. It is simply understanding that values shape countries. Values create countries. Surrender to the socialist globalist agenda is entirely the mission of the American left. It is the mission that Boris Johnson is fighting against. It's the same mission in America that President Trump is fighting against. In both cases, President Trump and Boris Johnson are celebrating, they are encouraging the resurgence of love of their country. 
and that's what's on the battle on, on the ballot tomorrow in the UK, December 12th, and in our elections in 2020. And for a teaser for tomorrow, I'll tell you that tomorrow joining us on the show is George Farmer. He was a candidate for, uh, he's a fabulous British man. He is a gentleman who did run for a seat on the European Union, but it was to represent the, the Brexit party, the party that wanted to pull out of the European Union. He happens also to be married to Candace Owens, so that's pretty fun too. He's joining us tomorrow to talk about the elections in the UK. And that, my friends, is today's First Five. Well, I told you at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. He is joining us. Actually, I never heard the end of the story if he's joining us by Skype or phone. But however, he is going to join us. We're going to have joining us Joel Gilbert. And he is, as you've been on the show before, uh, he's a filmmaker in Hollywood. And he is an investigative journalist type filmmaker. And he is the one who produced the movie and then the book called The Trayvon Hoax. It is making enormous headlines, and it's actually, the beautiful thing is, as he works to spread what he found out in investigating the Trayvon Martin case that, that, uh, that gave rise ultimately to his book and his movie this year, it's really helping to stimulate the American political conversation about what happened around the Trayvon case and where we are today in our society in terms of uh, race relations. So I think we have Joel, there he is, hi Joel. Hi, great to be here. Thank you. So happy to have you. Well, now that I have you, this is Joel Gilbert. He, as I mentioned, he's been on our show before. I want to ask, we have Travis the Wonderful yet sitting in again today for Matt, uh, who is not feeling well. But Travis, there is a little bit, there's a uh, clip I sent you this afternoon. It is a just a short clip of the Trayvon Hoax film that I want to ask you to play, and then we can, we're going to talk to Joel Gilbert. Trayvon Martin was ground zero for racial division in America. Trayvon Martin was killed for wearing a hoodie, uh, quite frankly. I decided to produce a film on how the case affects American politics to this day. It had started as a self-defense case, but then, out of the blue, they found Trayvon's girlfriend. She is a minor child. This phone witness led to the most racially divisive trial since OJ. My investigation started with Trayvon's 750-page cell phone records. I made a shocking discovery. Trayvon did have a girlfriend named Diamond Eugene, but she wasn't the witness at the trial. Okay. I know we're going to get, we have Joel to talk with us, and I know you just, we just played that clip, but I want to start Joel Gilbert, the maker of Trayvon Hoax movie and book, I wanted to ask you to try to say in your big investigation you did of the background of the Trayvon Martin killing and then ultimately you were looking into the political impact of that event. Tell us again in your own words what the big discovery was you made that turned the whole case on its head. Okay, well, uh, people to remind your audience, uh, Trayvon Martin was shot in an altercation February 26, 2012. The police investigated for almost three weeks, 911 calls, uh, physical evidence, eyewitnesses, and they said it was self-defense after three weeks. Not stand your ground, just self-defense, it was over. Uh, Al Sharpton came down, and then the family attorney, all of a sudden, a week later, held up a digital recorder at a uh, press conference and said, we just found Trayvon's girlfriend was on the phone with him, and her name is Diamond Eugene, she's 16 years old, and, uh, she said a couple of things that seemed to contradict all the evidence. So Trump said, we got all the evidence now. 
Next day, Barack Obama came on board. If I had a son, he looked like Trayvon. State of Florida is pressured into appointing a special prosecutor. Two weeks later, they come to Miami, and I got the unredacted documents. They actually go to Diamond Eugene's house. That's her address. To interview this girl that was supposedly on the phone. And that's when 18-year-old Rachel Gentile shows up and says, oh, Diamond Eugene's my nickname. And they go ahead and take her statements. I've got that recording also. And uh, use her statements to arrest Zimmerman. And, of course, she shows up in court a year later. So I started by looking at Trayvon's 750-page cell phone records, 3,000 text messages, 3,000 photos. And I discovered that he's texting photos back and forth with Diamond Eugene. And it's not Rachel Gentile. It's a different girl. So I set out to say, look, if I can find this real girl, Diamond Eugene, find out why she talked to Trump, why she bailed out, and why she substituted for Rachel Gentile, and I can actually meet Diamond Eugene, I'm going to make a film and talk about how this case affected the country because it really was ground zero for racial division and all the uh, negativity we've had in race and even kind of fake news started the modern era from this case. So I made the film that revealed this entire story was really a hoax. I love that. was a great summary, and I really want to dive and talk about So now where we are, uh, actually, one more thing about this story, the uh, case. So you had the Trayvon Martin family trying to push the narrative that he was skipping along home from the store with his Skittles and was confronted and that the aggressor in the confrontation was George, uh, George Zimmerman. The family's trying to say George Zimmerman was the aggressor and George Zimmerman's defense, which the police actually originally agreed with, that's why they said they weren't going to prosecute, was that actually Trayvon was the aggressor. So this young girl's testimony made the difference right. between yeah made the difference whether the prosecutor thought they could make a case it wasn't just a, t a tangential minor witness it was a case changer right go ahead now this is it uh Diamond eugene i found out from her social media she's actually tweeting the entire time even after trayvon is shot she's tweeting about it and she's resisting pressure from trayvon martin's friends family and attorney to come and make a statement incriminating zimmerman uh she won't do it and she's put under tremendous pressure, and she's even tweeting about it. The pressure she's under, she acquiesces and does that phone call with Benjamin Crump, where she simply agrees with everything he says. She says the same narrative he put out in the media. Uh, what could she do at 16? Now, when she's want, they want her to come and tell this story to the police, which she knows is not true, she bails out. So only with that phone witness that contradicted all the evidence were they able to get an arrest in the first place. And... Uh, it's just a ridiculous thing that they allowed to go forward, but there was a bigger agenda, I think, influencing this because the black vote was not in the tank for Obama in 2012. Uh, unemployment, 50, 60, 70 percent in urban America. Illegals coming in, taking over jobs. Companies were leaving, taxes going up. So the Obama DOJ actually sent uh, the Community Relations Service, allegedly they were going to investigate, Instead, Judicial Watch pulled the documents. They actually were organizing protests, uh, the DOJ. And then, of course, Trump, with this recording, he said, I'm not going to give this recording of Diamond Eugene to the Sanford police. I'll only give it to the FBI, the people that were organizing protests. So there was a much larger agenda. And at the same time, don't forget, the Obama administration was using the IRS to break up the Tea Party movement, right, the conservative right. group. So they were using the tools of state to maintain power. And that's what we just saw in the AG. It's going on right now. They use the FBI, DOJ, CIA. 
this is the socialist playbook. Socialist policies don't work. So they have to use the power of state to stay in power. And that's what was going on and I think influenced this case. Okay, I want to just uh, capture something you said and just make sure our listeners are following this. Between the time the, of the incident where Trayvon Martin was killed and George Zimmerman said it was all in self-defense, that's what all the evidence showed until this other witness came along. But at that time, our tax dollars are being used by the Obama administration via the Department of Justice, sending people down to Florida to investigate, which really meant to agitate, to stir people up, to stir people into demanding a trial or demanding a further investigation and demanding justice for Trayvon. So our tax dollars, our government was using their resources to stir up racial tension in Florida. Is that, is that fair? Well, it goes beyond that. They were demanding the arrest of an innocent person without cause. Al Sharpton, who was Obama's advisor, was down there. He was in on it, too. Uh, Benjamin Trump held a rally with Al Sharpton. It's in the movie. And he says, we called up to New York City and got somebody with a track record. Well, Al Sharpton's track record is race hoax, the one of Raleigh, Crown Heights, Crown Heights riots, 1991, 1995, Brady Stash and Martin Massacre. This is the guy they were bringing down there because Obama's advisor. So there was a definitely a larger agenda that was used to divide the country and uh, inflame black voters to come out for Obama. And we know that Black Lives Matter started because of this. They went to the White House, too. Um, all the division, Ferguson, Missouri, hands up, don't shoot. All this nonsense that the media ran with uh, and still do so to this day without question. Okay, so I, I looked into the public documents. It's all there. I'm sorry, I want to mention one thing about the lawyer involved. So we're going to get to Zimmerman's lawsuit in a moment, but Benjamin Crump, C-R-U-M-P Crump, he was the lawyer actually hired by Trayvon Martin's family. He's not a prosecutor. Uh, he was just hired by the right. family. So is it your belief, based on what you've seen and investigated, did Benjamin Crump know from the start that the witness that they, the prosecutors, put on the stand and let her testify as though she really was Diamond Eugene when she really was somebody else. She was this uh, Gentile, Rachel Gentile. Did Benjamin Crump know that during the trial? Well, I have a, we have a smoking gun on Trayvon's mother, Sabrina Fulton, in the movie. Uh, yep. And by the way, if you go to thetrayvonoaks.com, you can see the trailer and live stream it or get the book or ebook, DVD. Uh, but we know Sabrina Fulton knew about it and did not say anything or stop the trial uh, from the get-go. Uh, we have a lot of indications that he knew or should have known based on him being the one that interviewed Diamond Eugene. He seemed to indicate in one interview he had met with her. He told With Diamond Eugene, he told Matt Lauer, she's a 16-year-old teenager. Uh, her voice is so very different yep. than Rachel Gentel. And he spoke to uh, Diamond Eugene three days before. Uh, I have the phone records of Diamond Eugene three days before they came to interview her. Uh, Diamond called Crump and they spoke for three and a half minutes on a Saturday morning. I wonder what they could be talking about. Then Rachel Gentel shows up 48 hours later pretending to be Diamond Eugene. So I'd certainly like to know what Crump knew for sure. But bigger question also, what did prosecutors know? They had all this information for a year. You could see that Trayvon is texting messages back and forth and photos. It's not Rachel Gentel. They had this for a year. They have FBLE. They have investigators. They have subpoena power that I wish I had. Three months I got. You know, how could they not know? And does that explain why these attorneys told me they had to spend two-thirds of their time in court 
just putting sanctions on the prosecutors because they wouldn't give them the evidence they had a right to have, like the phone records. They withheld the phone records. They told them they couldn't speak to Diamond because she was only 16, which was a real age until just before the trial. And then just before the trial, now she's 19-year-old, Rachel Dentel comes in and says, oh, I lied about my name, I lied about my age, I lied about going to the hospital. So there was some malfeasance on the prosecution, I'm sure. Oh, sure. So back to be understanding, because we're going to get to Zimmerman's lawsuit, but it's very clear that, at least for sure, Trayvon Martin's mother knew that the woman sitting there in the trial testifying as though she was Trayvon's girlfriend, she was on the phone with him, and she's telling the story that the Trayvon Martin family wanted told, which was Trayvon suddenly attacked, uh, and this girl's telling the story. Trayvon's mother had to know, because she's looking at her in trial, she knows that this this is a hoax witness. This is not Trayvon's girlfriend, right? She knew. Absolutely. Absolutely. Look, Rachel, okay. she tells about 150 pounds heavier, taller, uh, Sabrina Fulton had received a letter that was signed by Diamond Eugene, yeah. directly from Diamond Eugene. I had a handwriting expert look at it, I got a handwriting sample. She knew it was a fake witness and she allowed the interview to go forward, Rachel Gentel. She allowed the trial to go forward. So we talked about that in the film, uh, but it, it was a hoax and how it divided the country is one of the themes of the film. And how hopefully uh, when people see this was a hoax, maybe some healing can begin. I, I get most emails are from black teenagers. And they say, look, we knew Rachel wasn't the girlfriend. And they say, number two, one gal said, I have a black son and I was afraid for him to grow up in America. But now I saw your movie and I realized we got played. Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's the most gratifying email I got. That is very, very powerful. I was going to say, to summarize again what you did, and then we're going to turn to uh, Zimmerman and then what can happen in America. But the kind of investigation you did, as you say, without subpoena power, you looked at phone records. So, you're, yeah, there you are. And I was going to say, the Trayvon, right there you can see, is holding up both the Trayvon Hoax book and Trayvon Hoax DVD, both of which we have at home. I'll confess, it was a very busy day and I ran out of the house without them. I was going to have them right here, but, you know, life gets busy. Anyway, back to this. So what you could do without subpoena power... You're able to look at the phone records, able to see pictures, recognize that the person who testified in trial as Trayvon's girlfriend was, was not Trayvon's girlfriend. You were able ultimately also to track her down, the real girlfriend down, the real young girl, Diamond right. Eugene, and get to right. her. And then, so that allowed you to expose it all. And I just want to make the point that if you're a prosecutor... And you know you have a duty not to suborn perjury. You have a duty to actually investigate a case thoroughly before you put someone on trial. And Zimmerman was on trial. I think he was facing life in prison. And you let all this go. And only for the fortune that you, Joel Gilbert, came along and decided, I'm going to look into this. Is there even now truth coming out about the fact that George Zimmerman was so wrongly accused and that too many people were involved in knowing he's wrongly accused. So I commend you so much for what you did. I want to turn to Zimmerman's lawsuit. Now let me state the obvious. Zimmerman was acquitted. I mean the jury I guess saw through this hoax that the prosecutors put on. So why should Zimmerman be filing a lawsuit now? It's years later. You know he's uh, he he was acquitted. He's not in prison. What What's he filing a lawsuit about? Uh, well I've read the lawsuit of course and uh, look He's filing a lawsuit for false prosecution. No one should be prosecuted because of a false witness. It's, uh, it's in the Bible. It's in the Constitution. I think it's violation of constitutional rights. Uh, obviously, uh, 
he had told me it's in the movie. By the way, he's in the film, and he did not even testify in his own trial. He talks about exactly how devastating it was for him that he had taken a life. And uh, because he was actually mentoring kids whose parents were in prison. He was an Obama supporter, social activist, Hispanic kid. But just putting him through the trial and then the amount of negativity and death threats and hatred that has come his way pretty much ruined his life. He, he can't circulate in public. He has to wear disguises to this day. Someone tried to kill him last year, got 20 years in prison. There's uh, rap songs and social media rants against him every day that he should be dead. So they pretty much ruined his life. He's got severe PTSD, and he's trying to get restitution, much like uh, Nicholas Sandman or Devin Nunes. I think it's uh, he wrote an article in American Thinker that he's looking to make a statement, as much as he cares about any money, that you can't persecute people with false witnesses and use the judiciary uh, against citizens that, uh, didn't, that were already exonerated. He was exonerated by a thorough investigation. Had it not been for Rachel Gentelford, this fake witness that came and told a made-to-order storyline, and the cooperation of the system, which I think knew very well she was a fake, including the media, which made no effort to figure this out, uh, that's what he's trying to accomplish, I believe. So Zimmerman is suing, George Zimmerman is suing uh, the parents, he's suing, she's, he's suing tr uh, the dad of Trayvon Martin, Tracy Martin, suing the mom, uh, Sabrina, I always forget her name, Sabrina Fulton, suing the, Rachel Gentile, who was the 19-year-old posing as a 16-year-old, the one who actually testified, suing the prosecutors. Uh, and suing, suing two net prosecutors by name, and also suing the Sanford police. Isn't he also suing the police department? So he's suing everybody for a hundred million. The, yeah, including Brittany Diamond Eugene, the real phone witness as well. The real one, yeah. So for a hundred million dollars. So, so first of all, I will say just clearing your name. If you were a private citizen and no one else ever heard about this case, you'd be outraged if you were the victim of what George Zimmerman was. If you were set up, if you were prosecuted for something that you did when you did nothing wrong and you were prosecuted anyway, you might, even if you're, you know, the case wasn't one of national import, import you might sue. But this is a case where George Zimmerman's name Everybody knows his name. Everyone, as soon as you say his name, oh yeah, the guy that killed Trayvon Martin. I can truly believe what you say. He feels like his life was destroyed by this case and his ability to move forward, to find jobs, to just have a new life ha has really been utterly destroyed. Correct. Uh, look, uh, he, he said that he, not only was his life destroyed, his family is still in hiding, he's in hiding. Uh, he has severe PTSD. He literally cannot walk around in public. Uh, without fear of being attacked, as he was last year. And I think he feels just even more horror that in his name, uh, Black Lives Matter was formed, that police were killed, that uh, so much negativity has gone on. So uh, I think he sees the bigger picture as much as he's looking at his own, uh, uh, clearing his own name. Well, the other thing I really wanted to commend and then have you talk about some more is you've been really good about you did you joel gilbert you you did the investigation you made the documentary film you wrote the book you've been speaking everywhere but you're not just speaking about correcting the record and exposing a false witness and further vindicating george zimmerman you've really been great about talking about the impact on america from this entire prosecution from the 
astonishing media storm that occurred after the after the death occurred and then we had the I think it was million hoodie march in Washington there weren't really a million people but they called it the million hoodie march and the damage to America's culture and fabric and police department and I just love that you're exposing that too so I'd love to have you talk about that what damage flowed from it and then also what do you think could come out of this for America as we become more familiar with the truth about Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman I think, first of all, that no one has suffered more from what I call the Trayvon hoax uh, than the black youth of America. Uh, the Trayvon hoax is two things. It's the substitution of a legitimate phone witness who did hear what was going on just prior to this incident, which was Brittany Diamond Eugene, for a fake witness, Rachel Gentel, who told a made-to-order storyline to get Zimmerman arrested. The Trayvon hoax is also the name I give to the hoax that the media plays on black Americans every day, which is that uh, America is racist, so you better seek shelter on the left and vote for Democrats because of the hate out there for you. That there are armed white men in the streets and police that will shoot you because of your skin color. And uh, the real lesson of the film is, that, is not that there's armed white men in the streets looking for you, but that there's a lack of strong black men in the home to give guidance. Uh, Trayvon, his real story I show in the film, and it's very, uh, it's a teachable moment. Uh, he had lost his stepmother because his father divorced his stepmother of 14 years, Alicia Stanley. And so he, that was uh, November 2011, he had to go back and live with his biological Sabrina Fulton, who kept kicking him out every time he got in trouble, and he would start acting out and fighting and getting into heavy marijuana use, uh, dealing guns, and he kind of went in this downhill spiral. So I even show in the film, he was not a bad kid, he was an average kid, not a thug, but he got into all these behaviors that were very dangerous. It could be a teachable moment, but his legacy was stolen by left-wing activists for this political agenda to divide the country and to control the way black voters look at America. So, of course, Black Lives Matter was formed because of this. If you look at Black Lives Matter, their agenda is things like transgenderism, globalism, nothing to do with helping black Americans, nothing to do with civil rights. Uh, civil rights movement was not supposed to be built on hoaxes and ruses. And that's what they're trying to do, really to achieve an agenda that doesn't help black Americans. Uh, so this movie kind of exposes the, the downhill spiral of race relations since then. It was uh, both black and white said that race relations were positive uh, back in 2012. We had a black president. Most people were very proud of that, even if you didn't agree with the politics. And it just went negative ever since because of this case. And uh, this film shows that this, the original ground zero for this nonsense was a hoax. I grew up in Tennessee in the, in the 80s, black and white kids all together. I had black friends because I liked their character. There were some white friends I had and some white friends I didn't have because I didn't like their character. It was all about the strength of the character. Nobody cared about your skin tone. So the media took up this narrative that 40 years later, all of a sudden America is racist. Well, where's the racism? Oh, it's in the system. I don't, where is it? Oh, it's in your DNA, according to Obama and Reverend Jeremiah Wright. So this is total nonsense that divided us for no reason. And we really were fooled. This was an epic race hoax. Al Sharpton was in on it. And a lot of people were in on it, uh, starting with understanding the witness was fraudulent. And uh, there are tragic incidences in America with police, with altercations, road rage. But it's not because of racism and that all of America is racist. They're because individuals make stupid mistakes sometimes. And to say that uh, that should divide us is wrong. 
uh, I say we're all brothers. America is, Americans are all brothers, black and white, under the Constitution in a great nation of liberty. And uh, we should not let ourselves be divided for no reason over tragic incidences like this. In the end, Trayvon Martin and George Zimmerman have a lot in common. They were both used for this political agenda to divide, to divide the country. And I think this uh, movie just tells the whole story. And I hope everyone, you know, start with the trailer. It's, uh, you know, thetrayvonhoax.com. Just going to ask you in closing, yeah, the name of the, the website that goes, thetravenhoax.com. You can order this video. I Actually, my husband and I ordered it even before the first time I had you on, and I got the book. There he has them right there. Thank you for having those. Yeah, anyway, love that you have them both. It's a really interesting thing for America, too, to deal with uh, these kind of past instances that po- cause so much division in our country. And I think some people might argue, George Zimmerman, why doesn't he just be quiet and go away? Why do we have to stir all this up again? In fact, I had listeners of the show that said, why stir all this up again? Let it go. But the thing is, it hurt America so much. And to have truth come out about the real case, the real uh, fraud perpetrated on America and and the um, efforts of some people on the left to use this case for political gain, all those things are actually healing steps. Exposing truth, understanding what's real, and and really calling to the attention of the American people things that happened that weren't right, so we can we learn the correct lessons about America. Um, and and so thank you so very much for making the movie and the book, and thank you, Joel Gilbert. Thanks so much. Great to have you on. I got to tell you, folks, the truth, I couldn't get to all my questions. Then I made a couple other points. I've been in touch with him a little bit. I know some people are saying, okay, but isn't it true that George Zimmerman? The night of the incident, when he called into the police, said, you know, and they said to him, don't get out of your car, stay there. I, I believe that to be true. I believe his answer was, you know, later was, you know, if, if I could have changed anything, yeah, I wouldn't have gotten out of the car. He just thought he was doing his job as a neighborhood watch person. He thought this person looked suspicious. And um, once he got out of the car, you know, it was kind of a, the decision, the, the die was cast. There was no way to uh, undo that decision. I think he has said, yeah, I wish I had never gotten out of the car, but he did. And so we are where we are today. But I think the important thing for America to understand so much racial hatred, so much racial suspicion, racial resentment, so much political gain by so many on the American left in endlessly making reference to Trayvon, Martin case, as though the case stands for the idea that a young black man uh, could be innocently killed for no reason at all, um, and that that the country is filled with racist police officers. And you know, to be clear, George Zimmerman isn't white; he is Hispanic. George Zimmerman wasn't a police officer; he was a neighborhood watch guy. He was more or less a Democrat. I mean, he was very much he voted for Obama. So this is this guy who's. But the whole story got contorted in a way. To, and was used by people to divide America. So even if the you know scars are still tender, and I'm terribly sorry for any family who ever loses a child for any reason whatsoever, it's just always excruciating and painful, but it does not mean we should let a lie sit. What happened to George Zimmerman in the hands of the prosecutors was a lie. They let him sit there in a courtroom, put on a fake witness, all to perpetuate the left-wing uh, mission and story that the Martin family wanted to put out. 
and it wasn't true and it matters to get that the facts on the record and it matters that George Zimmerman should have some chance to clear his name which is what he's trying to do by this lawsuit so we'll say and uh, I'll keep you updated as I hear more on the lawsuit I'm sure many of the defendants are trying to think of if they can possibly get this case dismissed without going forward I'll keep you posted on that Two of the quick stories on today. One, I wanted to hit uh, Joe Biden, um, still running for president. Um, I want to tell you, there was a quick clip I sent to uh, Travis the Wonderful, and this is uh, of Joe Biden. And you likely heard about this, but I want you to hear exactly how Joe Biden talked to a voter when that voter came to a town hall and had the audacity to ask Joe Biden, essentially, What's the story, the straight story with your son, Burisma, and, you know, son Hunter Biden and the Burisma company and what happened with the Ukraine and, and, you know, essentially said, isn't it you true you helped get your son a job on the board of Burisma and it was lucrative for him. So the question isn't in this tape. I want you to hear the way Joe Biden answered and spoke to this American voter. Most people know. And I can get things done. That's why I'm running. And you want to check my shape on, let's do push-ups together, man. Let's do, let's run. Let's do whatever you want to do. No one has said my son has done anything wrong, and I did not on any occasion. And no one has ever said it. Not I didn't once. say you were doing anything wrong. You said I set up my son to work in an oil company. Isn't that what you said? Get your work straight, Jack. That's what I do. We hear on the on MSNBC. You don't hear that on MSNBC. No, no, you did not hear that. No, but you heard. No, Look, you okay, I'm not going to get an argument with you, man. No, no, I don't want to. Well, yeah, you do, but uh, <laughs> but look, fat. Look, here's the deal. Here's the deal. It, it looks. You know, it's like you don't have anything like that golden trumpet. Let him talk. Let him talk. Any other questions? Yeah. All right. Well, I knew you weren't, man. You think I thought you'd stand up and vote for me? You're too old to vote for me. <laughs> All right, here we go. Okay, I just want you to spend one moment thinking about this. Just imagine any Republican treating a voter the way Joe Biden just did. He called the guy fat. He challenged him to a push-up contest. The gentleman speaking is a farmer. He's a little overweight. So Joe Biden's trying to show he's a big, you know, tough guy. Challenges him to a push-up contest. In a portion you didn't hear, challenged him about who had a higher IQ. As I say, called him fat. And at the end of the day, taking the most absurd line of defense about his son, about Hunter Biden being on Burisma's board and all that everyone in the country who has a pulse knows happened inside the Ukraine, knows that it was through Joe Biden's contact that Hunter Biden ended up getting a board position on an oil company, energy company named Burisma, over when Hunter Biden had no industry knowledge of any kind, no history in oil, no connection to Ukraine, and somehow made, as we've all now been hearing, oodles and oodles of money. But what I really want to get at is what that little clip shows about the character of Joe Biden. Number one, in a non-threatening, inconsequential town hall, when someone even raises the question about Burisma and his son, he can't give a, you know, it's a complicated situation. I can't explain it here in, in detail at this time. 
go to my website, I have a statement there, or I stand by my son, I believe he did nothing wrong, or, you know, any one of kind of, if you went to a, you know, introductory class in political campaigning, many other choices would have occurred to you as a way to respond to a voter of that kind. That voter was a, you know, he was confrontational. He's like, I want to know the story about Burisma. But what we saw about Biden and that little clip is just a window on what an extremely frail, insecure, not particularly savvy, defensive, and nasty man he really is. But the second point in the story is this. The media loved that interaction. I just want you to picture if it was done in the reverse, any Republican candidate. But the media described him, described the interaction in a way, in fact, this was a quote from CNN, the national political reporter, Maeve Reston, described the exchange as feisty and a kind of, kind of human moment defending his son. Uh, Biden showed authenticity, emotion, and readiness for a fight that appeals to so many Democrats. I mean, folks, the media just drooled over themselves saying how great Biden was handling that unruly voter. I actually think it showed Biden to be weak, frail, defensive, and honestly can't think of what to say in a question which should have been the number one question his handlers prepared him for is, how are you going to respond when someone asks you about Burisma and Hunter? Get your answer ready. I mean, this is what handlers, this is what campaign consultants do. They help you get through the hard questions. They help you think through. Here are your three points you're going to say. He had no idea what to say and really made himself look like a petty and mean-spirited man. Last quick story of the day before we get to why it matters to you. So ever since President Trump won the election, even before he was sworn in, we've had the left talking about impeachment, impeachment, impeachment. I was going to declare today to be an impeachment-free zone, and it pretty much is. We're not really going to impeachment today because you've got to talk about other things going on in life. But Congress has now, since the House Judiciary Committee has issued the articles of impeachment, they're apparently going to vote tomorrow in the committee and next week on the floor. There has been a... Um, a willingness of the Democrats in Congress to say, okay, maybe we'll look at just one thing. We'll look at this trade deal. It's called the USMCA, United States, Mexico, and Canada Agreement. It's a new trade deal to replace NAFTA. Congress is now finally saying they'll take it up. They did some negotiating. They got, and so end up, you know, with labor unions and made some changes. But the bottom line is the Democrats are finally trying to show America that they're not the complete do-nothing Congress. So they're willing to go forward on the USMCA, apparently before Christmas, to pass it, to show that, hey, we're acting in good faith. We're actually doing something. That means this will go over to the Senate, the U.S. Senate, next. Once the House approves, goes to the Senate. The Senate is where it may end up actually in some trouble. First of all, the in the Senate, you know, Republicans still have majority. You know, we'll see uh, how long they can hold on to that since they seem to uh, not do, be doing a great job of defending President Trump. But right now, the Senate uh, has Republican majority, and they had uh, statements out by Mitch McConnell, you know, the um, who is the majority leader in the Senate, and he has said basically. Well, we can't even get to this uh, trade deal until after Christmas. We can't get to impeachment after Christmas, until after Christmas. You know, we've got to put all this off to the new year. So the whole nation has to have this impeachment cloud over the holidays because they can't start until the new year. And Christmas is close. I would certainly concede that. 
Many rumors are floating around that there's actually some horse trading going on behind the scenes. McConnell is somehow trying to get some favors or things he wants in the trade deals Trump is doing. And so he's potentially going to straddle or decide the impeachment trial and the trade deal, which I know is only USMCA, Mexico and Canada, but other trade deals Trump is working on. There's kind of a sense that, that McConnell sees, sees this as a potential horse trading opportunity. On the other hand, Lindsey Graham, Senator Lindsey Graham, had said he would like to say no trial at all in the Senate if the House really votes to impeach, when it moves over to the Senate for the trial, Lindsey Graham saying, hey, let's just have the vote that we don't, you know, the Democrats don't have two-thirds to remove him. Forget about the trial. This is the coward's way out. This is a guy who doesn't want to deal with the hard questions. So I think what will happen in the new year They'll have to get to the impeachment trial. I think the Senate ought to be able to pass the USMCA in 30 seconds and move on. But if they don't, if they hold up agreeing to the USMCA and verifying once the House has agreed to it, and then we're going to do the impeachment and they drag it all out, you got to start to wonder more and more if there's some horse trading going on behind the scenes with McConnell having, you know, holding pretty much all the power, literally the Senate assuming the House votes to impeach the president, the Senate holds the power, remove or not, holds the power to decide what kind of a trial to have for the impeachment, what kind of witnesses to permit, what is the scope of the witnesses that's going to be permitted. There is a whole host of uh, issues over which McConnell holds complete power. I, he has never been a friendly supporter of President Trump. He has been good in getting judges appointed, but not a friendly supporter to President Trump. So I'm going to close out the show today and turn to the Why It Matters to you by saying we need to keep a close eye on the Senate because I think there are going to be a lot of discussions over the holidays. We're all home enjoying our families and Christmas and New Year's. A lot of discussions going on in Washington about how much they can get out of the president in order to conduct a Senate trial, an abbreviated trial, whatever kind of trial, they conduct a trial that gets the senators what they really want as concessions from President Trump. I do not have personal authority from anyone in or personal information directly from anyone in the Senate to say this. I just think that's what's happening behind the scenes, scenes having watched these guys for a long time. Now, let's turn to talking about why the stories we talked about today matter to you. And I believe we have that. Very wonderful. Travis, we do. Okay. So we have Hillary claiming the Boris Johnson is a Russian asset. Hillary's interference in the UK elections tomorrow has deep ideological roots. She and all socialist globalist leaders detest the idea that a country and its people want to reassert their national identity and that they dare resist the growing centralization of power represented by the EU. Attorney General Bill Barr spoke of the Russian collusion hoax yesterday when he said that America was turned on its head for three years based on a completely bogus narrative. The political tactic of making a hysterical Russian asset accusation against an opponent is exactly the kind of conduct that we had Attorney General Barr talking about. Hillary has no idea how ridiculous she sounds to at least 63 million Trump voters in America. Biden taunting the fat voter. We have the next slide. We have Biden taunting the, um, the fat voter. The mainstream media lectures Americans every day about how President Trump's rude and crude behavior makes him unfit to be president. 
Joe Biden on the campaign trail rails against an Iowa senior citizen farmer who dares to ask a corruption-related question, fat shames him, Biden's campaign claims he said fact, but you just heard it, he said fat, and generally belittles him. Imagine the mainstream media's coverage had Trump spoken that way to any citizen or voter. Joe Biden is not fit to be president of anything. Last slide, Congress legislates, finally, all they've been doing so far, is pushing impeachment, but now they're on to the trade deal. President Trump calls Congress. Oh, there was a great clip, but I ran out of time. Trump made the point that the only reason that the House is willing to deal with the uh, the uh, USMCA is because they know that they're doing a terrible job, and the American people are sick of their impeachment stuff they're doing. So they're trying to save face and do something good for America. President Trump calls congressional approval of the USMCA the silver lining of impeachment as Pelosi tries to escape the do-nothing label. Approval of the USMCA is a good thing for America, and Trump deserves the credit. But now McConnell appears to be slow-rolling approval until after an impeachment trial. McConnell says the Senate will hold off on both impeachment and the USMCA until the new year, and speculation abounds that a hidden horse trade is in the works. Americans must hold McConnell's feet to the fire, dismiss impeachment, pass UMCA, no delays of either. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Thanks so much for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. Thanks for listening. Speak up for America in your own life. Know that the reason I do this show is to speak up for the extraordinary, unique greatness that is America. I speak up because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can We Talk? Truth About America.